folks. Greetings and welcome from the Offensive Security Group here at Secure IT 360, coming at you with a new episode of the Cyber Threat Perspective. So we're doing things a little bit differently. This is going to be part one of a multi-part series where we go in-depth talking about various types of offensive security testing. So we're going to cover everything from internal pen testing, which is what we're going to talk about today, all the way down the list to mobile and web and talk about red team and purple team with the ultimate goal of giving you a really good idea of how these things work, how we do these things, and what you can expect um, if, you, if you seek these services in, in today's offensive security market. So I'm Brad Causey. This is Spencer. And uh, fortunately for us, Part one is internal pen testing, which has got to be one of the most exciting forms of pen testing ever. And Spencer is our resident expert. So uh, tell us about internal pen testing. And I know that there's some big changes, right, that have happened in the, in the recent years that are important to talk about. And so I'll let you run with that, sir. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Excited about this, Doc. This is uh, what I spend most of my time on. Uh, it's funny. I was just giving a presentation yesterday to law firms about Active Directory security and the complexities with that. And, and we'll touch on that a little bit uh, during this episode. But uh, yeah, this is Offensive Security Testing Part 1, Internal Pen Testing, my favorite subject ever. And to start it off, I'd like to just kind of talk about traditional internal penetration tests and what we like to call assume breach or assume compromise. You may have heard that. And I kind of want to just talk about those two, compare and contrast a little bit so we understand what we're getting when we are asking or when we're getting a quote or we're in a discussion or a kickoff call for an internal pen test and for an assumed breach uh, pen test. So let's start with internal pen test, right? Internal penetration test, a traditional internal network penetration test is going to be something along the lines of... Uh, we or whoever you're working with might send you a Kali, lim uh, Kali laptop or maybe it's a, a tap device or some device that you can plug into your network, right? You plug that device into your network and that's essentially where you start from. You hopefully will get access to everything on the network and you can start poking around from there. The goal of an internal network penetration test is to find all of the vulnerabilities you can find in the limited amount of time, right? Both internal penetration tests and assume breach, which we'll talk about next, are time-limited engagements. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's very important to consider because not essentially all of the pen tests that we do uh, outside of red teaming are going to be time and scope limited, right? So an internal network penetration test is, the goal is to find as many vulnerabilities as we can in the amount of time. And we're not really uh, limiting ourselves as to what we can uh, attack from a scope perspective. Um, but like I said, we are limited by time. And one of the key differences between an internal network penetration test and assume breach is that in assume breach, you assume that a user has clicked on a link or that you've gained access to the environment somehow, and you've landed on a system in the environment, like an actual system, like a Windows machine or a server, something like that. So assume breach, it kind of assumes that you've been compromised or there's a you know malicious insider or there's a vendor that has unattended access. We usually start from that kind of context uh, and that's kind of where we begin a assume breach pen test. And, so yeah, go ahead. One of the, well, one of the, one of the compare contrast, you know, statements I usually like to make when people start asking about that is, you know, we, 
we started realizing hackers aren't shipping laptops, right? In, into into their targets and uh, the idea that this magical Linux box full of hacker tools would suddenly show up physically attached to your switch yeah. is is kind of far fetched. Not impossible, right? There are mm-hmm. scenarios where you know a kid could plug in the laptop in a in a, in a um, hospital or something. But generally right. speaking, you know, and and this comes from our time because we also have kind of a little toe in the IR pool too, the incident response pool. Is you know how are all these compromises happening? Right. Well, right. they're happening because a user clicks on a link yep. and suddenly that endpoint's compromised and everything on it's compromised. And so that's kind of the backstory on that. And this yep. has been a shift over the last couple of years. If you'd have gotten a pen test from us three years ago, we'd have shipped you a Kali Linux uh, yep. laptop. And, and today, you know, we kind of avoid that if we can help it because it's just not, you know, it's not a realistic presentation. Yep. So. Yeah. And that's that comes down to the goals of what you're looking for uh, for a pen test. Right. If you're looking for something to simulate kind of a real quote unquote attacker, um, kind of targeting your organization, your firm, getting access, and then what can they do from that standpoint? Assume Breach is going to mimic that in a more realistic scenario, right? An internal network penetration test, um, while not as uh, as a realistic scenario, uh, you still are able to find vulnerabilities on the network and you're still able to test certain things. Uh, it's just a different type of test and there's different goals associated with those. Uh, but a lot of our clients, like you said, because of how prevalent ransomware is in phishing and social engineering, a lot of uh, clients that we work with, and, and I'm sure you're thinking the same thing listening to this is, well, I want I want a realistic you know, thing. I want to know what would happen if somebody does get access to Susie and accounting's computer. Like, is my EDR going to stop it? Is my antivirus yeah. going to, you know, detect the the tools that the attacker is using as malicious? Um, is my, uh, if I have quarantining enabled, like a lot of EDRs have automatic quarantining, is that working properly? Um, if an attacker jumps to a server, is it just going to turn off one of my critical servers? Um, right. Th- these are all things that you can, can start to kind of test with assume breach. Uh, now, obviously the, this a discussion there about the intent of the response and how well we can test it. Um, but that also ties into the goals is with an assumed breach pen test, we can, like we said, more often simulate kind of a real attacker kind of performing real actions on those endpoints and then test those controls that you have in place and how well your controls are working against those types of threats. Sure, sure. And and that, you know, kind of what, before we move on from it to talk about the other benefits of assume breach that I think are important to understand beyond, you know, a traditional internal network penetration test is unless we pivoted onto an endpoint, a user's endpoint, which which the reality is we're low priority targets in internal network penetration testing, right? High priority targets are things like servers and uh, shares and things of that nature. But, you know, why would we want to pivot onto an endpoint that a regular user is using? Um, but the problem with that is the security of that endpoint, which again is the front line for most of these organizations, uh, we never look at it. Right. So you're so Susie in, in, in bookkeeping, uh, you know, we might not ever see the fact that she has this huge list of exceptions in her EDR platform, which which creates a, a, a huge amount of risk. And so we wouldn't see that in an internal network pen test. So what we like to call the security posture of the endpoint um, is almost 
not usually looked at at all in an in yep. internal network pen test. Whereas we do we do that right in assume breach model. Yep, definitely. One of the the key things that we do during our assume breach is we do put that endpoint through its bases. We look at the configuration of that device, the build, uh, how, you know, we look at the applications that are installed. If there's misconfigurations with those that could lead to privilege escalation or, or other vulnerabilities. Uh, so we do put that endpoint through its paces uh, as part of our assumed breach. That's usually a day one is kind of as part of reconnaissance. We look at the configuration of that endpoint. Uh, and the findings are, are somewhat similar uh, but there are some some stark differences between an internal network penetration test or the findings that we typically see and the mm-hmm. findings you would see on an assumed breach pen test. Like you mentioned, on an internal, traditional internal, you maybe spray the network, maybe you get credentials, and, and maybe you elevate privileges and things like that. But like you said, you might not get access to uh, a workstation, for example. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but there's some things that would, would typically be different for those two engagements. And like you said, you might miss things like the exceptions in the antivirus and things like that. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I think in that, to me alone is a big enough selling point. Like, oh, you're going to look at my endpoint security and you're going to tell me how to make that better. Well, dude, that's worth the price of admission right there. You know, and yep. uh, so so what else are like really big kind of, you know, elephant in the room kind of things that you, that you look at uh, when you do this internal assume breach pen testing? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it doing security assessments, uh, I often talk to clients, especially in the in the legal space, that they have a third party vendor that has, you know, remote access or unintended access to a certain set of systems or servers because they help with, you know, reporting or analytics or support or whatever it is. Right. So looking at those servers that have remote access tools or that have, you know, uh, low privilege users that are allowed to access those servers, essentially looking for permissions and privileges on the domain using things like Bloodhound, for example. So Bloodhound, we're able to map the environment, look for hidden or unintended relationships in Active Directory. And we can see things like nested security groups where, you know, Susie's accounting group, who does maybe some reporting and analytics on the financial server, is inadvertently, you know, an administrator on one of these servers that then gives them access to a whole bunch of other things that they they might not need or not have not really require access for their job, right? They're over permissive in terms of access. So maybe the first bucket is just access control in general, right? Just giving too much access to users or to groups and not really adhering to the principle of least privilege which is kind of like a buzzword, right? It's like zero trust. Like just do zero trust, right, Brad? Like this, everything will be fine. Just flip Um, the switch. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, So understanding that, you know, just saying, hey, implement least privilege. It's not super helpful (laughs) um, to say that to many people. So what we mean by that is looking at your service accounts, looking at your users and your role-based access control and saying, what is the minimum amount of permissions that this user or these groups need to do their job. You know, what systems sure. do they need access to? What applications do they need access to? Um, can I restrict these service accounts from logging in anywhere? Like, do they need interactive logon and things mm-hmm. like that? 
So generally, like one of the big things that many firms get get wrong is privilege access and access control in general. Sure. So, so my understanding is it's a lot easier to administer things if you just give domain admin to all your service accounts, right? Exactly. Like SQL admin, SCCM admin. Uh, yeah. 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 Just don't worry it, about it. It's common to yeah. It's common to Kerberos those accounts, mm-hmm. um, and they have weak passwords. And then, fortunately enough, or unfortunately, that SQL admin is just a member of domain admins because, like you said, it just works. It's easier to do than you know delegating granular permissions. Sure. Yeah. And and so so on that note, you mentioned um, you know approaching it uh, for, for using Bloodhound. Are there other tools? Are there other kind of you know big um, you know, targets, if you will, that, that, that you commonly run up against or, or, you know, test for. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we can have an internal pen testing discussion without talking about file shares, uh, <laughs> without talking We have about... an entire podcast on just that subject <laughs> and, yeah. and like, and we're still talking about it because it's everywhere. Yeah. So I did a presentation yesterday for on active directory security for law firms and the number one common finding that we see on these internal pen tests is plain text credentials on file shares. It's yeah. so common. I think it was 85% of the internal pen tests that we do, we see plain text credentials on file shares. Wow. And in 75% of those cases, it leads to domain admin. So, you know, we were just on a, a pen test recently. Uh, we literally came across kind of the same thing that Uber was faced with. A PowerShell script on a file share that had an mm-hmm. admin password that got us access to something else that eventually led to domain admin. Um, and it was just sitting there in an admins, you know, in a text file for an admin, you know, in their, in their share drive. So, so listeners, let that, let that sink in for just a moment. Right. So finding credentials on a file share, which the skill level to do that, no offense, Spencer is zero. Absolutely. Right. It takes zero skill to search for the word password in, you know, publicly available, I say publicly internally available shares. Mm -hmm. And, and 85% of the time we find passwords, 75% of the time we get domain admin as a direct result of that. So, you know, if that doesn't scare you, uh, then, then you're just not scarable because that is spooky. Right. Yeah. The other thing too, is it doesn't require malware, right? Like, once I get access to that system, right? Like if I'm an attacker, right? I'm going to have some sort of uh, implant on that device. As long as I'm not detected there, mm-hmm. I can just search the file shares. I don't really need quote unquote malware to do that. Um, yeah. Even so if you have console access like RDP through VDI or Citrix or something, you could just navigate out to the file shares through file Explorer and just go search for it. Right? You don't need malware. You don't need any complicated tools to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to your point, yeah, it's very low skill, but very, very high impact. Have you ever been caught by um, security monitoring, uh, whether it be MDR, EDR, just doing those searches? No, never once. No. I okay, mean, it, so it's just... Yeah, now you should really be scared <laughs> because 75% of the time I get domain admin using this one secret technique that has no skill and zero detection. Yep. Wow. Yeah, so for, so one of the tools that I like to use all the time is PowerView. It's a 10-year-old post-exploitation framework yep. written in PowerShell. PowerView is detectable, right? If you have good PowerShell logging, uh, if you uh, are using AMZ properly, um, if you have a good EDR antivirus product, you can catch the use of PowerView. 
Um, but like I said, you don't have to use Power View. You could just search manually. Um, you could. There's a number of ways to to look for those things. Uh, but Power View is one of the ones that I recommend people use because it finds a lot of low hanging fruit very easily, and you just run it on a host that doesn't have AV running, um, and you can find stuff very very quickly with that. Solid. So so. Are there any other uh, internal TTPs you want to hit on? Because I have one kind of more broad topic that I want to hit before we before we wrap out. Yeah, I mean, so the common things that we see are misconfigured group policies, um, mis- misconfigured certificate services or certificate templates. Uh, that's a pretty common one. Um, and then just weak passwords in general. Uh, yeah. That is very common to see, especially on service accounts, like we talked about with the Kerberosting example. Um, so those are some of the key ones that I would focus on. Um, and yeah. then using a tool like Pincastle, I talk a lot about Pincastle. It's probably one of my favorite tools. It's an yeah. Active Directory health check tool, essentially. And it checks for hundreds, if not thousands of different misconfigurations in your environment. It's a free tool. So you can just download it and use it as a defender and use it for free. Uh, and it finds a lot of low-hanging fruit. It'll find pretty much everything we just mentioned outside of the file share issue it'll find everything else that we just mentioned and talked about. So it'll find group policy misconfigurations. It'll find uh, overprivileged groups or users who uh, are able to control other objects in Active Directory. So kind of the nested security group issue that I mentioned, it'll find a lot of those low hanging fruits um, and it's really, really good. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's something that's really important and and we're going to touch on that in every part of this series. And that is, um, you don't always have to go get an expensive pen test or buy an expensive tool to, to detect and improve on your own, you know? And so we want to kind of help with that and talking about bloodhound talking about bloodhounds, a little bit more of an advanced tool. It takes a little bit of, 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 of know how to set up and run, but Pincastle doesn't right. And neither yep. does searching for keywords, which you wrote an article on how yep. to find stuff on your shares before the bad guys do. So, you know, for yep. those of you listening, check out the blog for that. And it's kind of a step-by-step guide. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, the, the goal there being most of this stuff is free folks. Uh, you can really do a great deal to improve yourself from a, from a blue side or defensive side um, by, by just, you know, understanding where the big threats are. Right. And we're going to help you with that. And, yep. and then, you know, understanding how to find those and we're going to help you with that too. So uh, speaking of blue team though, isn't that a big part of internal pen testing, right? I know that you go up against all kinds of EDR implementations, MDR implementations. You go up against, against lots of MSSPs and SOCs and, yep. you know, so, so how big of, uh, of a piece uh, of internal pen testing is that? And, and, you know, should people be thinking about that from a goals yep. perspective coming into it? Yeah, definitely. I think that's maybe one of the biggest uh, asks that we get on internal pen tests is, are you going to test my MSP or my SOC, right? Are you mm-hmm. going to, what happens if you get detected? Uh, what happens if you don't get detected? What happens if they're not sending us alerts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's oftentimes a big uh, concern for a lot of firms, a lot of organizations when we do internal pen tests, because we're operating on that endpoint, we're running things. Some of the things are quote unquote, you know, malicious or should be detected as malicious. Mm-hmm. And so, when we do those tests, that is a good opportunity for you to put that SOC, that MSP through its paces, right? 
when we're executing yep. power view for example uh are you seeing that are you logging those powershell commands and is that sock detecting it because many times when i run power view i might patch amzi but the powershell commands are still getting logged so they should right. still be detected as malicious especially power view power view has been known for 10 years now and it's been out in the wild so if your sock doesn't have detections for power for power view um that'd be something to talk to them about um yeah. because a lot of times i don't really try to pull out all the stops with defense evasion because i want to test that right i want to test how well i'm getting detected and alerting on and if i use you know bleeding edge you know whatever tooling to kind of avoid defenses that's getting more into the red team aspect yeah. of the testing and kind of avoiding the blue team. We want to put that through its paces. Right. Um, so we'll do things that are intentionally noisy, especially if we've gone two, three, four days, we haven't seen alerts. We're going to put Mimi cats on the box. Like we're going to run things that are intentionally noisy. Right. But yeah, to your point, it is a very sought after thing. And part of the reason assume we like assume breach is because we get to put those detections through its paces. So not only with the actions on the endpoint, but lateral movement, right? Privilege escalation, um, credential dumping, right? Can we get access to the credentials in memory? And is your EDR or security monitoring detecting that? So those are all things that we do that are an opportunity for a SOC or MSP to detect uh, mm -hmm. and kind of put them through their paces. And then if they don't, you know, having a having a report that says, hey, they did this, how come you guys didn't see it is very helpful for a client. So they can say, Hey, these guys did a pen test. They just right clicked in task manager and dumped LSAS and like you guys didn't send me an alert. So you know, right. what's up with that? Super good, man. So, so all of that said, you know, we tell me a little bit about prerequisites. What should I, as a, as a consumer of internal pen testing, uh, is there anything I need to do beforehand? You know, I, I yep. know that, you know, there, there are some considerations, right? So what should I do? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. And, you know, uh, thinking about the maturity of a firm uh, for penetration tests, I would say the first step is vulnerability assessment, right? If you haven't done a vulnerability assessment or if you haven't done anything to uh, look at the security of our Active Directory environment or look for these misconfigurations, I would say do that first, right? Do a cursory review of Active Directory, do some vulnerability scanning and vulnerability assessments to find those low-hanging fruit. And then from there, I think it's a good point to start to look at an Assume Breach pen test as the next step. After you've done your vulnerability assessments, you've got a comfort level, you've uh, removed or eliminated you know, weak passwords on your environment, um, you've done some of those cursory things, then I think it's it's a good point to to start looking at an assume breach pen test. Perfect. So yeah, no, that makes perfect sense, you know. And and so the blocking and tackling the basics, right? If you haven't if you haven't patched yep. in a year, maybe an internal pen test isn't isn't your jam right now. And so, you know, get those basics out of the way uh, before you do that. And that really just ensures, you know, we don't get any satisfaction out of coming in and just tearing everything apart. Uh, we want to provide you with value, and and hopefully that means that we're kind of past the rudimentary stuff, yeah. um, and and we're starting to get into some stuff that it's harder for you to figure out, and that's why yeah. you would want us to be there. Yeah, likewise with you know antivirus and 
uh, to some extent EDR, but mostly it's when clients have antivirus or they don't have any antivirus at all. And they're just kind of running vanilla defender. Um, in terms of what we do, you know, that'll, that'll end up being kind of a, not a finding on the report, but kind of a recommendation, right? If you're using something off the shelf, like a like McAfee or semantic or something, or just straight up defender, like windows defender, um, in the home version, we'll get around that fairly easy. Most attackers will get around that fairly easily. Uh, so the recommendation as a result of that would be, Hey, you need better visibility on your endpoints. You need to invest in a, in a better, uh, endpoint security solution. Um, that too is kind of a, a segue, you know, once you've got a good EDR in place, you've got maybe some monitoring set up, you've identified your vulnerabilities to some extent, mm-hmm. and you're starting to work on those, you're patching regularly, then it's time to do that internal pen test, the assume breach pen test. Solid. It makes perfect sense. Um, so there you go, folks. I mean, that's the rundown by the expert himself on uh, <laughs> on Assume Breach pen testing, right? Uh, and, and if any of that stuff sounds interesting to you or that kind of piques your ear and you're saying, wow, you know, I have no idea what my nested groups look like. Because by the way, the only way you're going to find that out is if you seek that specific problem or you bring in somebody like Spencer. And so there are these kind of skeletons in the closet that can be found. And so if that sounds interesting to you, then, you know, maybe getting uh, an assumed breach style of internal pen test would be beneficial to you. Uh, and so, you know, kind of in, in, in conclusion, look for other parts, right? So we're going to talk next about external penetration testing. Uh, we'll, we'll also talk about all kinds of other great stuff in the rest of this series. And so if you found your way over here from somewhere else, um, you know, please like subscribe and uh, follow or however you're consuming this on whatever platform and check us out over at offsec.blog. Um, other than that, you folks have a great week. <laughs>